In the name of the Father, and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Just guys, a, quickly, a quick reminder, we're in chapter 18. So just to remind you what happened uh, so far. So we know that David had a son, Absalom, and Absalom started to uh, revolt against his father, David the prophet. Everybody followed Absalom, and David ran away with few of his loyal soldiers. We saw that God have helped David to disperse the council of Ahithophel, who was one of the most intelligent people at the time. We also saw how God provided for David in the time when he was in the desert and the wilderness alone. We also saw last time what happened was that the army of David went to meet the army of Absalom. And we said that they fought in a forest, in a jungle. So the army of David, which was less than 10,000, because they are experts at wars, they divided themselves into like three small groups, and they were able to kind of destroy the army of uh, Absalom. And then David has given a clear command and told them, bring the boy alive. Do not kill Absalom. But what happened was, Absalom, as he was driving his little donkey, because he remember Absalom was so... Uh, he, he was so proud of his hair. He, his hair got stuck in a tree, and then the donkey kind of went from under him, and then the army of David caught him. And we saw last time that the soldiers refused to kill him, but then the head of David's army, Joab, which actually, he is the uncle of Absalom. He killed him. And then now, what's happening is David standing at the city gate, waiting to hear the news, okay? And the army is coming back victorious. So what usually happens is they will send a couple of runners, two people who would run, just to deliver the news while the army comes, because the army obviously is going to take a, a, a smaller amount. Remember, I told you this was a very emotional war for David because he was standing at the city gate as all the army leaving, and he's talking to almost every single person. They're all his loyal friends, and he might not see some of them. So it was a very emotional war for him. But he was also concerned for his own son, whom actually at this point is considered to be an enemy to him. And we said how this is probably one of the reasons why our Lord said, the heart of David is after my own heart, because he learned to love his enemy before the commandment of loving the enemy was given. This is part of it. And we can also make the same idea when we look, for example, at monasticism as an example God did not explicitly did not require people to live a monastic life but some people wanted to give so much to the point that they live all the life dedicated for God God did not specifically tell people go and claim that you're Christian so you can get martyred obviously he told them deny, deny your faith if you get captured but some people out of their own will they went and committed and said we are Christian and we're willing to take the punishment to so some people obviously now took even the new commandments, commandment of love, to its fullest extent. So now we're going to chapter 18 from verse 19. Then Ahimaz, the son of the Zadok, said, Let me run now and take the news to the king, how the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. If you guys remember, Ahimaz was one of the spies network that David created while he was living in the city. So Ahimaz is somebody who's simple. He loves David so much. 
He's so excited that he could not believe that they won the war. So he's like, no, 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 let me run. I, I want to deliver the news to the king. Then Joab, Joab is the head of the army, said to him, you shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news because the king's son is dead. Joab, even though he killed the king's son, he knows that this will upset the king. So he's telling Tahimaz, my son, relax. Today, you don't need to go take the news. I mean, David is going to be so mourning and so sad, and you look so happy and exciting. It's not going to work out today. So just take it another day. Then Joab said to the Cushite, go tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. And Ahimez, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, but whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. So Joab said, why will you run, my son, since we have no, no news ready? But whatever happens, he said, let me run. So he said to him, run. Then Ahimez ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. So what's happening here? The Kushite is not an, a Jewish person. He's not from Israel. So when he delivers the news to the king, he will be kind of uh, de delivering something without any emotion. It's just pure facts. Okay? And, and this time, it's best if a sad news like this be delivered by a non-Jewish person because of the emotion. This is an emotionally charged event. And Joab thinks, you know, if I send somebody like Kushite who's not really... An Israelite, he's just simply presenting facts. He has really no agenda, whatever it is. Protection from the king's anger, but also at the same time, a best way to deliver the news without taking away all the emotions. And sometimes this is a wisdom. Whenever you have an emotionally charged situation, it is wise to pick somebody who is maybe not involved as much emotionally so he can kind of convey the message in a way that does not get people reacting the wrong way. But Ahimez was so excited, this guy does not want to stop. He's like, please send me, please send me, please send me. He's acting like a child. And I think, we'll see later, but I think Ahimez's excitement probably also kind of helped David a bit to heal later on with the news. Because he also saw how his people and his loyal friends are so excited for him and they're so happy for him. Okay? But Ahimez knows the area and the path more than the Kushite, so he looks like he found a shortcut and he reached David before, before uh, the Kushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates. You guys know in the city usually there's two gates, one from external, one from internal. The wall is big. And the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, to the wall lifted his eyes and looked. And there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king. And the king said, if he's alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, there is another man running alone. And the king said, he also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimez, the son of Zadok. And the king said, he's a good man and comes with good news. So what's happening here? So just explain this to you. David, the poor guy, standing at the city gate, it's like, almost like the father waiting for the prodigal son. He's waiting for his son who denied him, who defiled his bed, 
who tried to kill him, he's standing, waiting to give him a big hug and tell him, I love you, I want you. That's what David is doing. Now, there's somebody who stands at the tower, sees who's coming. But they told him, look, there's one runner who's coming. But he told him he's bringing news. And this, and this David meant good news. Why is he saying that? Usually, when you have bad news, you don't send one person alone. You either send two people or a foreigner. Okay? So when he saw one person running, he said, oh, he's bringing good news. Then he told him, oh, well, there's another person running. He told him he also brings good news. David is so hopeful that eh, everything went well. So he's excited, waiting for the prodigal. And when he told him the name Ahimez, oh, yes, this guy is good. I know him. You see, this is part... Remember when I was telling you how God works in all the details of the day? Even the person that the commander of the army wanted to send, but God also wanted to send another person. God also went, wanted to send another person. Because that makes a huge difference in the heart of David. I'm telling you this because there's a lot of small details that happen. David is a king, so what? But every small detail in his life, God is speaking. Every person he meets, every war he gets into, even the messenger could be a messenger from God. And Ahimez called out and said to the king, all is well. Ahimez is so excited. And he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, blessed be the Lord our God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hands against my lord and king. The king said, is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimez answered, when Joab sent the king's servants and me, your servant, I saw a great torment, but I said, I did not know what it was about. And the king said, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and, and stood still. What's happening here? Ahimez was so excited, telling the king, look, everything is great. We thank God. God delivered us. And just get a, a quick point here. A lot of times in our excitement, and our preaching of good news, even in our own life, we must first recognize the work of God in our life. And that's what Ahimaaz did. He says, we thank God. I thank you, God. And even starting our day with this idea, I'm starting thanking God for giving me a new morning, that I could love him, and I could repent, and I could worship, and I could talk to him, and I could build a foundation toward the kingdom. A new day. A new heart that God could give me that day. When David asked Ahimez, he told him, what about the boy? Ahimez, Ahimez kind of looked a bit, eh, kind of taken. He didn't know what to say. So he kind of gave him a big answer. He told him, I saw there's a situation, there's a lot of people gathering, it looked like sad. So I don't know what happened, basically, that's what he said. When he saw how David reacted, when he was asking about the boy, Ahimaaz kind of what was shaky and just kind of didn't want to say anything. This is, by the way, the beauty about the Old Testament. It's a life that you and me can experience every day. You have bad news to deliver to somebody and good news, this could happen. Just then the Kushite came. So that at the same time after he finished telling him the news, the Kushite came. And the Kushite said, there is good news, my lord, the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to Kushite, is the young man Absalom safe? 
So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of the Lord the King and all who rise against you to do harm be like the young man. He's telling him, your son died, but in the most polite, most sensitive way. He, told him, he didn't even want to tell him, your son. He told him, man. He used the kind of vocabulary just kind of to give him how the, what happened to the boy. Now we're going to see David's reaction to the death of Absalom. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And he said, and as he went, and he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if I only had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. To be honest with you, when you see David's weeping over his son, who did all this stuff for him, must make us understand how much God weeps over those who are drifting away from him. It is extremely breaking if David, a man, who had hardness at some point against his son, can weep that much. What about the source of love when he sees his own children are drifting away? Probably David had many regrets. He might have said, you know what, I wish I would have went to battle. I could have protected him. I wish I would have reconciled with him before he died. I wish I did not punish him and I forgave him. I tell you guys something, I've seen many people who come and very heartbroken because one of their family members died before they reconciled with them. That's why our Lord said, before you take communion, make sure you reconcile with people. Make sure you reconcile with people. I want to tell you also two points about the, 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 the weeping of David the prophet over his son. Number one, sometime in our spiritual life, in, our, in the stories we hear, for example, of the martyrs of Libya, of the people who die here, and we take so much pride in how their parents had so much peace, and they were not heartbroken that their child died as a martyr, and, and we're all impressed by how peaceful and how joyful they were that their children died. We also have to keep in mind that there are some people who are also children of God, who are very precious, but needed to grieve and needed to cry, like David the prophet. So it's not a it's not a spiritual state kind of uh, uh, judgment whether a person has that much peace or not. Every situation is different, and God accepts all. God looks at the heart. The second thing I want to tell you quickly and keep that in mind. David had a son earlier from Bathsheba who died as well. But David did not weep over him when he died. David wept over Absalom. Why? Because in David's understanding, Absalom is not going to heaven. Absalom was somebody who lived a life that was 
not a reflection of the life of our for, his forefathers. So he is weeping over potentially that his son might not make it. He might not see him in the afterlife. And this is the most heartbreaking story. That's why he's saying to him, if I would have died in your place. Why would he want to die in his place? Because as if he wants to give him another life to repent. He wants him to give him another chance to go back to God. And this is the, the, the saddest type of death. When somebody, for example, who does not believe in God, or somebody who dies while they're not walking with God, it makes the family uncertain. Uh, he is weeping over over the end of his son. So David is weeping. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He's so sad. And think about it this way. Who is coming on their way? The army. An army who died, who sacrificed their own lives for their friend David the prophet. And they're coming and they are victorious. They have fought. They've done everything they can. So let's see what happens in, in 19. And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard, heard it said that day, The king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day, as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in a battle. But the king covered his face. And the king cried out with a loud voice, O my son, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. As Joab is coming with the army, people started telling him the news. He told him, David is covering his face. He does not want to talk to anybody. He's crying, he's crying like a baby. He's not going to talk to anybody. Obviously, it's hard for an army who is victorious, who are bleeding, who died. Some of them died for their, their king. Come and see their king say nothing to them. They walked into the city, the Bible says, as thieves, ashamed, even though they're victorious, the people who fought. So the whole victory that they turned into mourning, the whole victory that they turned into mourning. And sometimes this happens a lot in our daily life. We take our own sadness and our own problems and project it and on those who love us. Especially on our parents, on our spouses, sometimes on our children. We project what we face on them. So those people just came from a very hostile environment and they're expecting some encouraging words. And David, yes, he's hurt, yes, he is broken, but also he has a responsibility. And that responsibility is to encourage his own people who try to die for him. And some people, maybe because of their own life, they might neglect some of the most important aspects of their life. And that could cost them a lot. But we'll see what happened. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, this is Joab, the one who just killed Absalom, and he knows he's the reason for this. Look what he told him. This is the head of the army talking to David. 
Today, you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the life of your concubines, in that you love your enemy and hate your friend. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today, I perceive that if Absalom had lived, all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has fought, befallen you from the youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting at the gates. So all the people came before the king, for everyone in Israel had fled to his tents. See, Joab walks in, he forgets that David is a king. And he goes in with an extremely aggressive, his disrespectful speech. Like, if you want to read this passage, go home and read it while you're yelling. Okay? This is exactly what Joab is doing. He's yelling at David. And he's telling him, those people saved your life. None of us, you, care, you, care, you, care, you don't care about any of us. All what you care about is yourself. And if your son, this enemy of yours, if he would have, if we all would have died and he would have left, he would have been happy. He almost accused David of so many things that were not correct. David loved his people. David loved his loyal friends. But yes, he let his grief and sadness control him in a moment where he needed to gather himself to greet the army, to greet the people that were facing him. So, David, out of his humility and out of his, him being a reasonable man, he took what Joab said and he took it and he said, you know, you know what, Joab, he's probably wrong about 50% of what he said. But there is 50% that he says he's right about. And Joab, yes, killed my son. But in this incident, part of what he's saying is true. So actually, David listened to the man who killed his own son. To the man who is threatening him that he will leave. Can you imagine somebody who is coming to you with so much degrading way and you're still able to see that there is merit to what he's saying, or what she's saying. And I could tell you, I could share that with you. A lot of times people will mess and call one of the fathers and they're very angry and they start complaining and yelling and screaming and accusing and all that stuff. But there's always part of what they're saying is true. Part of what they're saying is relevant. There's also another thing I, I want to tell you I read recently that I really liked. One of the Western saints, she was saying that when you are sick, when you get sick, for example, people usually are concerned about you and they ask about you. But she said, if your sickness increases and you become sick for a long time, people get used to the fact that you are sick. And then develops inside of you a hidden pain that only God can see.
I think this is what's happening with David right now. Inside of him, there's a hidden pain. When you share your grief, grief with other people, you might get some comfort. But now the fact he has to hide his pain and, and suffering and move on with his life as if nothing happened, as if he might have lost his son to eternity and move on is not an easy thing. He has to carry on this burden by himself. This is one of the reasons why David's heart is after God's own heart, that he can be humble enough to accept an advice from somebody like Joab. And he can be, he can gather his strength to con congratulate people in the moment when his son was dying. Strength that only comes to a humble soul. Right now, just want to explain something to you. There's a big problem. What's the problem? Jerusalem, this is where Absalom was, has no more king. Absalom is dead. Now, David is outside in the wilderness. So it's a very unstable political situation. Jerusalem has no leader, and David is outside. So what's going to happen? Now, all the people were in dispute throughout the tribes of Israel saying... The king saved us from the hand of our enemy. He delivered us from the hands of the Philistines and now has fled from the lands because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, Absalom, our king, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? The leaders of Israel, remember, there are two, two kind of two groups, Israel and Judah. Remember, this, this is, this is going to continue on for the rest of the Old Testament. Israel are the 11 are the ten tribes, and Judah is two tribes. So the leaders of Israel said, you know what? We anointed Absalom. Absalom is dead. Why don't we bring David over to become king over us? Who has not called David to become a king? Judah. Who's Judah? Judah is the family of David. David is from the tribe of Judah. So the people who are not his family are asking him to come and his own family, whom he loved and took care of, have neglected him. David now has ten tribes of Israel under him. He can go take an army and destroy Judah. And be like, you don't want me a king? I could come and just enforce myself as a king. But see what David did. So King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Since the words of all Israel have come to the king, to his very house. You are my brethren, you are my bone, my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring, the king, bring back the king? You see, David did not take it personally. Some people can take this personally and get overdramatic. He did not call me back. Why didn't you call me back? The other people called me back. Let me call the army. Let me threaten you. If you don't call me back, I'm going to come and kill you. You have 24 hours. And he has all the powers to do it. But David chose two things. Lobbying, if you say it. I'm going to send two priests to lobby for me. Okay, which is a very humble way for him because he has actually the power. And the other thing, he chose a humble way. He told him, we're family. We're friends. We're one. We're on the same team. He's using the right words to a to. To, uh, to encourage him to take him.
and say to Amasa, who's Amasa? Amasa was the head of the army of Absalom. So there were two head of armies. David had Joab as the head of the army, and Absalom had Amasa as the head of the army. They're all related, they're all family. Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do to me and more also if you are not commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. So he swayed the hearts of all men of Judah, just as the heart of one man, so that they sent his word to the king, return you and all your servants. And the king returned and came to Judah, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. David is tired of Joab at this point. He basically disobeyed him. He killed his own son. So he told Amasa, I promise you, I will take you to become the head of the army instead of Joab. A couple of things I want to tell you at this point. David had multiple options. One option, just to sit in the wilderness and wait until Judah takes action. Their option is very unstable because anybody can cause a revolt, and we'll see that next chapter. Okay? He could use power to enforce his authority, and that would mean he was going to have bloodshed that might not be necessarily. Okay? He could have used threatening language to, to threaten his own family. That's not what he used. David chose to stay a stranger. He could have gone to Jerusalem and enforced himself as a king. And if Judah likes it, likes it. They don't like it, don't like it. He would not go back unless every person invited him. Why? Because David understands his purpose, his goal. David's goal is to protect Israel. To protect the kingdom that God has entrusted him in. Not his own throne. Not his own power. Every authority, every, every position that God gives me is not for me. It is for me to build the kingdom of heaven. David preferred to stay as a stranger, waiting until they call him. Even though he could have done otherwise. So now the people of Judah decided to go, and now they're all coming to escort the king from the wilderness back to Jerusalem. Now, you guys remember, just get a stop quickly here, so the passage when we read it, we know. Remember when David ran away? What happened when he ran away? He met some people. One of them insulted him and cursed to him and told him, you're bloodthirsty, you're this, you're this, God is punishing you, okay? So now this man is very anxious because David is gonna be a king, back to his own throne. So David is coming back with the people escorting him back to Jerusalem and this wonderful man, Shemai, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from Bahuram, harried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. This is the man who cursed David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him. He saw people moving, he ran with him. And Zeba, the servant of the house of Saul. Remember Zeba, the one who told, told Saul that Mephibosheth wanted to be part of the revolt against you. And his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him. And they went over to the Jordan before the king. Then the ferry boat, which carries David, went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he, ha he thought good. 
Now Shammai, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servants, know I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet the Lord, the king. So Shammai heard that the king is crossing, coming. So he crossed the Jordan. You can imagine him crossing the Jordan. He's probably all wet and stuff like that. He bowed down in front of the king with mud and everything like that. And he came to him. Remember, just one, one small detail. Saul, Saul and David are both from, we consider them the kingdom of Judah. One is from the tribe of Benjamin and one is from the tribe of Judah. Okay? We call them the kingdom of Judah. When Shemai wanted to refer, to refer to David, he told him, he didn't tell him you're from the tribe of Judah, he told him you're from the house of Joseph. Because remember, both of these two are from Joseph. So he wanted to kind of what, avoid referring to Judah or Benjamin. He wanted to refer them to Joseph. Because uh, this is from the same mother. Both of them came from the same mother. Okay? But he wanted to stay. Uh, he, before, initially he was telling him it's a war between the Benjaminites and, the, and, the, and Judah. But now he's trying to kind of use a common ground that will fit among them. But one thing I want to tell you. When you look at the situation of Shemai, you feel... He's almost talking like all of us. When we stand in front of God and we have no justification for our sins. Like he accused David wrongly. And David, just like God, had the authority, the executive and the legal authority to punish. He chose not to punish him when he's weak. Our Lord chose not to punish, punish us when he was on the cross. But he come to the king second by return, like the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he came and told him, I have sinned. He did not give him an excuse why he sinned. Told him what I did was wrong. And I think it's, it's very healthy sometimes no matter what circumstances happen in our life. After I offer thanksgiving to God, the second thing I say, I have sinned. Because there are sins that we realize and there are sins that deep inside of us that we don't realize. Shammai is, by the way, true motive was not here true repentance. And the rest of his story will be in the first king, book of first king. But just like God forgives us, knowing that some will never repent, also David forgives Shammai and give him another chance to actually live a life of repentance. Every day is a chance from us, for a chance from God to us to save us. But before even David answers, the head of his armies hate this guy. Okay, this guy made fun of them when they were running away, and now they're strong and they can kill him. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, this is the brother of Joab, answered and said, 
shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Doriah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For I do not know that today I am king over Israel. Therefore the king said to Shammai, You shall not die, and the king swore to him. David refused to listen to the advice of Abishai, who was the head of the army. And even though Abishai used some of the law as a reference to give David the reasons to kill, to kill, uh, kill Shemai, but David refused to kill him. You know, like the, David referred to this here, referred to his own head of the one of the head of the armies as his adversary. So remember when St. Peter told our Lord Jesus Christ, he told him, no, he cannot die on the cross. What did Jesus told him? Allahum, get away from me, Satan. Some advice could come from the closest people and it could be an adversary kind of advice. And this is what exactly happened. That David said, no way. On a day when God has given me so much victory and so much grace and so much blessings that I will go and kill somebody. That I will go and punish somebody because they insulted me. This is a person who truly feels that he's forgiven. And God has given him so much. And because he enjoyed the gift of forgiveness, He's able to share forgiveness with other people. And this is, it's, uh, it's one of the most important things sometimes to understand the work of God who does in our life. Because I understand it, all the love and all the forgiveness and all the giving that I give will be an extension of that. Will be an extension of that. And so many people, you sit with them, I might have told you that before, some people sit with them and they say, Abuna, we don't even feel worthy to donate. We don't even feel worthy that we got to visit this person. The, the act of giving for them, they feel as if it's a grace that God has given them that they don't deserve. And it's all an extension of the fact of knowing what God has done in my life. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. We can get a stand up for prayer.